In episode 68 of MobyCast, John and Chris kick off part one of our microservices bootcamp, answering the essential questions of what, why, and how. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. You know, it's been a few weeks, not for our listeners, because we try to keep one coming out every, <laughs> Don't every tell week. tell the secrets. Oh, my goodness. Yes, but we haven't done this in a few weeks. I've been on vacation for the last two weeks. So it's kind of fun to be back and have something new to talk about. This week, we're going to talk about microservices, and we're doing this little series, Microservice <laughs> Bootcamp. And this is part one. It's designing and sizing your microservices. Before we get into it, what have you been up to lately, Chris? Boy, that's a, that's a good question. You know, mostly just it's summertime now. So kind of like doing that, that transition every year of going from folks in school, kids in school, my wife's a school teacher and transitioning to the like, hey, it's summer vacation. So part of me is a little, a little sad. Everyone's out on vacation except for me. Mm-hmm. That's okay. My vacation is coming later in the summer. And then also it's kind of been interesting. My son's got his got a full-time job. So it's like, actually he's working too. It's like he, he had no break. Wow. Gradu- graduated high school and immediately went to um, a full-time job. And he's got to be up early out of the house every morning by like 7.15. <laughs> wow. um, and, you know, he's not getting home until after five and dealing with traffic and all that kind of good stuff. So it's pretty interesting <laughs> to hear him kind of like come home and be like, oh, I'm so tired. Right, right. <laughs> I'm like, welcome to my world. And that's such a brutal transition. I just remember being young and, and suddenly kind of coming to the real- realization that I was only going to have two, maybe three weeks off a year. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so hard. And I was like, why was I so excited to get here so quickly? <laughs> Uh, so yeah and i also was on vacation we went to the east coast and i visited some old friends from college i didn't go to our 20-year reunion but that's what it would have been for me and then went to this pretty incredible little event called aspen ideas festival which is a bit hoity-toity but super super interesting has a lot of really cool speakers and a lot of really cool people there and so i'll try to capture some of the energy that that gave me and take it forward for the next few months awesome Um, yeah kind of jealous sounded like it was uh Quite the uh, the soiree, rubbing elbows with <laughs> with all the the folks in the the communities there, and and in a really beautiful yeah part of the world as well. So, right? so, so beautiful there, yeah. yeah. And and I mean, I live in a really beautiful part, Eagle here, but I was like, oh, I got to get over to Aspen. We've got to move here. <laughs> We um, talked about this the other day. It's like the dumb and dumb, the dumb and dumb, dumb and dumber movie. We got to go to Aspen. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let's start here. We're just going to go through what is a microservice. We're going to talk about their business value. We're going to talk about what functionality we should put into a microservice. And then we're going to try to determine the size of, my, you know, how to size them. So can't do any of that without just giving a brief overview. And we've talked about microservices before, but, you know, let's give our Kelsis definition, our MobyCast definition of what a microservice is. Yeah. And maybe just to kind of like preface this just a little bit of like why kind of talk about like this um it's kind of looking back and it's like we we talk about microservices all the time and i mean everyone does right it's a it's a buzzword it's really common everyone's heard of them everyone's kind of using them but we never really kind of like have specifically addressed it and and we have um, received comments from from listeners saying like you know hey it'd be really helpful to have a, a more nuanced discussion around like 
what are the practicalities of microservices, right? It's really easy to talk about it in theory, but like I need help, tips, you know, guidelines for how to actually make this work in my in, in the real world. And it gets a little a little hairy, right? I mean, it's not it's not straightforward. So I'm kind of hoping that's what this kind of um, multi-episode series becomes is kind of like just that. Like we'll talk, you know, there'll be a little bit of definition and theory, but for the most part, really focus on just the practical how-tos, kind of the gotchas, like what's worked, what hasn't worked, and and hopefully that that ends up becoming really helpful for folks. Great. Yes. Yeah. So with with that, you know, let's first of all talk about like what is let, let's have the definition of a microservice because you know that's going to help set the the uh, the framework here for like how we then go on and design these things like right like what's the what do they do what's their response their their sphere of responsibility if you will and whatnot so you know in general like microservices it's it involves it's the process of factoring your business capabilities or logic into well-defined domains and subdomains right which is kind of like it's it's a mouthful but in, in general it just means like it's divide and conquer right you're, you're looking at your at your business at the at the problem space that you're dealing with and you're just identifying like the chunks like what what are like the natural size chunks what are those those domains and then you know for the bigger domains breaking them down into subdomains and so you're kind of you're doing that that modularization, right? Like like looking at your system, at your problem space, at your business logic, and identifying like what are like the key pieces, what are the components, right? And so that that becomes kind of like that first process, that part of the process, and then right, the, I was going to say that process is hopefully you're doing that process if you're writing a, a monolith too. That you know that's useful inside monoliths. So microservice must mean a bit more than that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so, so those basically, you know, those domains those subdomains, those become candidates for those microservices. And, and as you said, like, as if you have a monolith, hopefully you're doing this too, because if you don't, then it's just going to become a big ball of mud, right? It's going right. to be, if, if there's no, if there's no organization there to that monolith, if there's no modularization to it, like it's, it's quickly going to get out of hand. And so if, if you do have a successful monolith, then you have been doing this. Sure. Um, yeah. Out of necessity. Right. So microservices, first and foremost, they are they've been factored down into some some reasonable sized chunk of doing something. They're very focused and you know, basically they're doing that one thing of that that particular domain or subdomain and kind of think of them at the the module level of of packaging they they stand alone on their own and then another thing that i think is pretty is pretty useful here for for a definition is to say that they have their own data model which is completely decoupled from the rest of the system but right? that, so that, that's what i was waiting for that is the key <laughs> thing yeah. for at least in my yeah. mind cuz that's really separates it and i think a lot of incorrectly put together Microsoft microservices don't do that right. They're still pretty coupled from the point of view of the data model. Yeah, I mean, you, you can. I think I mean, you can definitely have microservices that don't have any state, in which case they don't have sure. um, a database. But for those with state that do have databases, I think you know it is pretty important that in order to take advantage of all the benefits that microservices give us, that there is one and only one owner of that state. So that it, it is fully encapsulated, right? Like if you have multiple 
multiple services all hitting the same database table, that's a huge coupling between them. Um, right. And you're going to run and you just don't have microservices anymore at that point, right? You're, you've are you done some work to, to have the modularization at the logic level, but the state is is completely coupled. So I think for, for us, definitely through this through this through this series of, of talks we'll definitely stick to that that microservices with state they own it and only they are able to directly access that and so anything else that does need access to that state they're going to get access to that via the micro the owning microservice mm-hmm. right so the owning microservice is going to provide apis and so everything here is driven by apis right and making those api calls and you have the whatever consumers want to want to get access to that they can make those api calls to that microservice and it is responsible for touching that database only right on yeah and i mean just concretely if you have say a user microservice and maybe a, a whole separate other microservice for user profiles the user profile database cannot be changed by the user microservice. You have to call the user profile microservice to change that profile. I just wanted to kind of make it concrete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, in general, I mean, that's that's kind of the description that we can use for like, what is a microservice? So again, something small, of reasonable size, it's modular, it's kind of independent. With If it has state, it's the only one that is directly managing that state. Okay, that's great. That, that's a microservice. But so why? Like, why are microservices so popular? Why Why is it such a buzzword? Why are, why are people adopting them? And so there are, there's, there's a lot of benefits to microservices. And a lot of this comes down to, it's the same benefits that you get at the code level. So, you know, you, as we're writing code, like, we know that it's probably not a good idea to have like a single file with a thousand lines of code in it with three functions, right? That are all 300 lines each or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a, that's not a good design, right? It's, it's very, it's very hard to maintain. It's, it's hard to understand. It's very complicated. And so we, we know that like by breaking that up into smaller pieces, that that's going to be a lot easier to deal with in, in, in every regard. And this is really kind of like what microservices boil down to. Like the, the benefits of it is just it's that that divide and conquer. It's, it's, it's breaking things down into smaller sizes that are independent, reducing the coupling between them so that it becomes, you get a lot of these, these specific benefits, right? So, you know, there's many benefits. Some of the ones that we can, you know, specifically talk about would be like development flexibility, right? So this is... It becomes much easier for you to onboard new developers to your code base if if it's a smaller code base, right? So if you have you know a, a big monolith system that even if it is kind of organized in its in its structure to kind of break it out into modules, it's you still have to see all that stuff, right, and kind of wade through it. Versus if you have a microservice just for the user profile store, that's all you have to look at, right, and that's all you have to come up to speed on. So. So, right, right. Yeah, it's like the new developer doesn't need to know. If the new developer is going to work on the geolocation service, they don't need to know anything about the payment service at all. Like right. they can't they can't break the payment service by updating the wrong code or forgetting to put a certain configuration in. Like you might be able to. I've definitely even seen it happen in a more monolithic architecture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, not only is it easier to onboard new developers, it's also easier to scale teams, right? Like this makes it much easier just from a from a staffing standpoint. 
where you can, each one of these microservices can have their own team. Some of them, it may be a team of one, bigger ones may be multiple people. But as you, as you do that, that decomposition, right, you're, you're now basically making it much easier to, to fill out your engineering team and how to staff that and to grow it and to not have the problems that come with getting bigger and bigger and the, the interdependencies, right? Because again, these are, these are for the most part, very loosely coupled really only through interfaces. So you get, so you can, you can scale people faster and easier. You can onboard new people. They can become more, um, more effective quicker with these. There's also the benefits with deployment, right? So like you now have quicker and faster deploys because the unit of, of work that you're the, the 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 unit of code that you're deploying is is smaller again it's not coupled to other things you don't have to wait for maybe someone else to check in code from you know another brand i mean those kinds of issues just become much less much less of an issue right because you're dealing with a smaller piece of code so so you have quicker faster it's it's it's, it's possible to have quicker faster deploys you're also reducing the risk of those deploys because the amount of code that's changing is less than if it is like with a potentially with a big monolith. So, I mean, I remember, you know, in the past, like doing an actual build and deploy was like, that was an event, right? Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like a once a month type thing. Mm-hmm. If you're good, right. Like for some people, it's for some teams, it's like once a quarter. Um, yep. Right. And it's a, big thing it's like all hands on deck it's like you know there's going to be some downtime you know things are going to go wrong like it's just a big big deal and you know with, with microservices like that's much less like if, if that is the case with microservices then you're doing it wrong um some, <laughs> something, something's gone really really wrong or you're just calling a monolith a microservice maybe right um, sure so there's that. And then scalability is another really great benefit of microservices because you're, you now have much more refined control over exactly what parts of your system that need to be scaled, right? So it's like, it could be, let's see, maybe there's one particular, two or three particular API calls that are the most popular parts of your, your system. And maybe it's like user profile, right? Like you, fetching the user profile is something that's just, just called quite a bit. Maybe it has like the the most performance overhead or it's just that's the most frequent call. Well, if you lift that out and make that its own microservice, now you can just scale up the the machines that are that are responsible for for providing that piece of functionality versus maybe the other 90% of the code base is just fine on less hardware, right? Or or a smaller system. And so instead of having to scale everything up, right, for the least comp for the for the least common denominator, you can now be much more strategic in in how you scale, and it also makes scaling a lot easier, just from an engineering standpoint as well. So, again, going smaller makes things just a lot easier across the board, and so those are some of the the benefits of of microservices. Anything else comes top of mind, John, that you can think of? No, I don't think so. But I always have a tendency to think about things from the beginning of a project or the beginning of a company and what sort of happens then versus what happens later. And I think that you're about to get into some of those trade-offs because in the beginning of a company, you know, kind of some of this stuff actually works against you. That scalability, for example, like 
when your scale is small, having to have a different database for every single microservice is actually more machines than you probably need, right? Like you maybe could run the whole thing on, you know, less than one machine and suddenly you've got to have, you know, multiple databases just in order to even run the, run mm-hmm. the system. Mm-hmm. And then another one is just like the other trade-offs that you're about to get into around some complexity that you add to the system by having things decoupled and knowing how to communicate across interfaces that are not just code interfaces, but rather like like protocol interfaces like HTTP, that's a little trickier, you know? So it could be more work if you create a lot of microservices at the beginning of a project and, and there's more kind of, ex, you know, non-business oriented heavy lifting that teams might have to do at the beginning of a project that's really like spread into many microservices that later might pay, you know, they might pay dividends, but in the beginning, it might feel like you're doing a lot of work that you could have done so quickly with a, with a monolith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and so the, it feels like this is definitely a good point. Like, let's let's talk about like some of the some of the trade offs. Like, it's it's not all it's not all roses with microservices. Like, it does cause some. I mean, you, there's some trade offs. So first and foremost, I mean, like, and probably leading the way with those trade offs is just the fact that microservices result in more moving parts. Right, so your system, you're you're building a much more distributed system with microservices. So instead of having, you know, one or two elements, maybe you now have five or six elements, right? And so, at the system level, definitely more complicated. And as you point out, like as you're starting out, it's like, do I really? I mean, why do I need these six things? Um, mm-hmm. Really, only two like would be faster, and, and it's more than enough, right? And I, you know, this, these get into some of the just the practical considerations as well, and and you have to kind of just look at every situation for what it is, and and know what the benefits are, what the trade offs are, and and make those decisions on what's best for you in 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 your system. If you're making a, you know, a prototype application, like probably no reason to go full blown microservices. If you know, like this will never get bigger than a than a certain size, or if it's going to be something that's going to be retired in the relatively near future, then that has to factor into it. But if, you know, you do have hopes of, of growing, you do expect this to be kind of a long-term service. If you do expect to have a um, growth in user base and just folks that and are especially using, in team size in absolutely in team size. Right. Yeah. So like, all of those things. So if, if, if growth is in your future, if longevity is in your future with it, then yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to put some, some investment, um, pay down some investment at the beginning. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's going to require some, some process culture changes, right. To deal with like for folks that are not used to doing these things this way, you're going to get pushback, right. From, from developers and maybe DevOps um, folks and whatnot, right? Like to, because it's kind of a crazy idea. It's like, what? We're going to have multiple uh, data, like, instead of having one database, we're going to have like four. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird and seems like a lot of extra effort and, and whatnot. But, but again, it's that's just part of that, that initial investment to pay up front. That again, if you, if you do grow both in team size and, and, and software size and, 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 uh, overall load on the system, it's going to pay off in spades. Right. Hey, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 50,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head over to iTunes and leave us a review and or a rating. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. 
So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. So the two things that are coming to mind before we get into, into how to do this that I think might help people that are kind of having those fights, like, should, you know, one side is like, we need to break this down into more services. And the other side is, no, this is fine the way it is. Let's let's keep it all together in a, in, a, in a larger app. I think a thing that I like to keep in mind is that as long as you're organized and how you write your code and how you modularize it inside of a larger monolith, or as long as you're organized and how you produce your microservice. So either side that wins. What I like to keep in mind is that you'll when the when a problem happens, down the road, guess what? You'll still know how to do. You'll still know how to code. And I, I've been thinking that way for fifth for like 15 years. Like I'll still know how to code when we run into the problem. And I've never seen a company with with smart capability, you know, capable people that know how to work together that hasn't been able to get themselves out of a out of a code issue. It's more when the people don't know how to work together that that things really fall over. So just keep it in mind that you'll still know how to code even if you don't make a perfect decision is a great way to move forward. And then um, another another kind of quote is from Martin Fowler that kind of says the same thing, but in a different way. When you run down the road into a something that seems hard, you know, make the change easy and then make the easy change. So that might mean break it into microservices and then write your microservices. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get into it. Let's Indeed. Get into a little bit more about what functionality we should put into a microservice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and so this so this gets me more into the, like the nuts and bolts. It's like, okay, so great, we, we've got the definition of a microservice and what it is. We talked about like the pros and cons and we kind of decided like, yeah, we, this is something that we want to embrace and use. And so like, how do we go about like deciding what is a microservice, you know, versus what isn't? And I think one of the things that's helpful here is to kind of think of it as there's two broad categories of microservices. There's the vertical style and there's the horizontal, right? So I think the ones that are like pretty straightforward and, and much easier to, to grasp are the vertical microservices. And so these would be going after very specific application business logic type space. So they're doing something, just uh, they're performing a specific feature or task of the system that you're building, right? So it's like, it could be that, like, if you're doing a yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just use examples from when we've actually done this. So we had a, a lawyer app that let you connect with lawyers and you know schedule meetings with them and you know pay for those meetings. And a big part of the app was a monolith that did all of that stuff. But then they wanted the the ability to add in a scheduling component, so you could literally look at a calendar and schedule. And that scheduling component, that that whole part of the application, it was new and wasn't there before. And instead of just adding it to the existing monolith, you know, we made a microservice out of it, um, and it it had its own everything. Uh, so that would be an example of this whole feature. A feature is a became a microservice. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So great example of of one of those the vertical style microservices. Another one might be like if you're doing like a software development tool, doing um, and maybe you have something for doing like code reviews. Like the, there could be a, a microservice just for handling the code review process of that as well. So it's a very it's a specific <laughs> business Are you logic. About GitHub right now, <laughs> like GitHub literally still is a Rails application, but I bet the code review stuff that they put on top of it is a separate service. Uh, well, they they recently acquired Pulpanda, so at okay. the very least, like that will be considered a, a microservice if you or or it's a separate service if you will. <laughs> 
But so so anyway, so th- so these vertical microservices again, they're kind of like these. They're the natural you know breakdown of of applications and features. They align closely with those domains and subdomains of the of the of the business capabilities that we talked about earlier, and, and kind of defining what a microservice is. And so it's just going to be up to you and and your particular problem space and what you're building to identify like what those what those vertical units are, but it should be a pretty, a pretty natural consequence. Right. Um, I wanted to add another thing to this. Like as you're starting an application and you're thinking about how to architect it and what my microservices to build a lot of times, because microservices are so useful for scaling teams, a lot of times this will naturally fall out based on your initial team. So if you have three people working on something, you might just decide, you know, three people working on the back end of something, you might just decide, you know, uh, Julie works on stuff related to users. Steve works on stuff related to, you know, feature A. And Sharon works on stuff related to feature B. And they're, they'll work on them separately as microservices. And then from there, they may split again as the team grows. But initially, you just have three people not creating any, any dependencies between each other. It's kind of a nice way to start a project. Yeah, and I think there what's going on is like implicitly you're doing that that design thinking up front, like, okay, what are the the different domains? And like, that's what these people are working on, which ends up being kind of like a circum, circumnavigation way of, of, of actually doing that, that process and saying, oh, yeah, these are our microservices. You're just identifying by like what people are working on. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same, the, the, the same kind of thought processes happening in the background. So those are the, the vertical microservices. Um, the other kind of broad category would be the horizontal ones, right? And so these are, I think these are the core, these are core foundational microservices. They expose functionality that would be common that other microservices kind of need to, to consume, right? And maybe a good way of thinking about this is a lot of the cloud providers, so whether it be Azure or AWS or Google, they have a bunch of just platform services that that you can consume to go build your systems, right? So like you need to store files. So Amazon has S3. And so this is a service that exposes an API. You can do your, your, your puts, you can re- retrieve files from it. Similarly, there's identity would be another type of a, a, a kind of a core common platform service where you need to, to get the identity of a, of a user, um, understand what their permissions are. And again, this is going to be something that may, maybe all, all your vertical microservices or many of your vertical microservices would need that kind of functionality, right? So instead of putting that functionality inside each one of those microservices, you can said you can just carve that out and say, I'm going to deploy, I'm going to, I'm going to package this up as its own microservice and let these other services then become clients, become callers to it and consume that functionality via, via an API. And so there's, there's lots of candidates for this kind of, for this, these kinds of like core common horizontal microservices and some t- most of the time, you'll probably be consuming them from other providers, just because there's there's so many out there, and there's so many so much other providers like AWS. Is, is Exa- yeah, 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 right. So, like, I mean, we talked about this before. I mean, there's something like you know 150 services just from the AWS console that you can get access to, and a lot of those would would be candidates for this, right? So it's SQS for for queues and things like Redis for caching and things like 
Cognito and IAM for permissions and identity, S3 for, for file storage, systems manager, parameter store for configuration. So lots of those kind of core foundational services from other providers. But sometimes you'll you'll you will discover that like it makes sense for you to to have your own as well. Like you may have some some very specific functionality that's just part of your business logic or business rules and but it's so core and foundational that it's something that everyone all of your other microservices will need as well. So you may you may find yourself identifying that you do have some some candidates for horizontal microservices. I think a common common one here is, is some of the, the cross-cutting concerns. So whether it be things like metrics or logging or authorization, roles-based access control, um, mm-hmm. those kinds of things end up being being good candidates for, for doing this. Um, so you, and you can think of what, what ends up becoming is you kind of get a, a hub-and-spoke architecture. So those those common core services end up becoming the, they're the hub, if you will. Um, and then your verticals are the spokes that are making calls into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it, it is, it's, it's going to be, again, it's going to be one of those things that's going to be very specific to your situation, but I would really strongly recommend that if you find yourself duplicating logic and across multiple microservices, then definitely take a step back and think about like, Hey, does this make sense to have it as its own? I would say, what can I, can I modify what you just said Not and say, it's not so much duplicating logic, but duplicating state. If you know what I mean? Like if you have to have the same state in your databases and, and keep that in sync across multiple microservices, then you may have a problem. You know what I mean? Like, cause logic, you can just make a, if it's just code, you can just make a library and have your microservices all use the same library. But it's when every microservice has to know about the same thing. It's data, every microservices database has to know about, you know, whether the user is, is logged in and it's kind of keeping track of that state in some sort of persistent state. Mm-hmm. Like then that's like, oh, that's maybe not okay. Mm-hmm. Keep track of this all over the place. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely both scenarios. I mean, for sure, it becomes even more important when state is involved and you're trying to duplicate that. But even even the logic is it's ends up becoming problematic, right? Because like, what if you need to up like you you want to update that logic? Um, if it's shared library that's in actually in inside eight other microservices, that means you have to redeploy eight different microservices, yeah, fair point, fair point. Later, right? And and you know, versioning you know problems potentially like what version of the library they're using. So if you take that that core functionality and you encapsulate it as a service on its own, you basically free yourself up from some of those those problems. But as you point out, like state becomes even even more important to do this mm-hmm. uh, because trying to keep data in sync across multiple different sources, like that's one of the hardest problems out there, along with naming. <laughs> <laughs> like naming things, like it's the, the two hardest problems in computer science are naming things and caching things. Right. Um, I guess the, what I want to what I want to say though, I, I agree, and we I think I think we're we're on a real sensitive area here because this is kind of where some of the religious debate comes around microservices, and and people have problem. You know, many people listening might have been involved in a project where people try to break down the core services and, and the sort of horizontal services too much, and then just ended up with a soup of services that all depended on each other, and then oh my god, how do I even find where the problems are because I'm six layers deep every time I need to do one thing. 
And so that I think is is real. It definitely has happened to people and people have definitely quit jobs over it. So maybe like a kind of, you know, here's me always sort of thinking about things from the beginning of an application. Maybe a good rule of thumb to start out with is that if you are going to do both horizontal microservices and vertical services to try to keep your horizontal services to like one layer at first. And you may decide you need to break them into multiple layers, but just kind of like try not to do that unless you have a really good reason or, or previous experience that tells you it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think again, in practical, like you're, the number of horizontal microservices you have is going to be very few compared to the number of verticals that you have. And if you find yourself having lots of horizontal like there's probably something again wrong there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I think again, I mean just looking back over my experience and and with systems and the various projects that I've worked on, the times that we've built our own horizontal microservices, it, they're few and far between. Um, they're very considered decisions, and they they are more difficult to deal with, and they do lead in some of those problems that you're talking about, right? Like you have this, you can get into this problem where it's like. Service A is dependent on service B and B is dependent on C, but C is dependent upon A or something, right? And like you have this thing where it's like, wait a minute, we can't even start up anymore, right? Right. Because there's something down the chain that we've got a loop in the system. Right. And so you can, you can, you can get into a situation where it's gets, it gets ugly really, really quick. So, you know, from a, from just a practical standpoint, I mean, you definitely want to be thinking long and hard about like, how you're dividing this stuff up, what really is kind of like a core service that's going to be part of your hub in the architecture and just just realize that that's a considered decision. Because like I said, these are definitely more difficult to deal with because of these dependency issues yeah. um, and kind of, you know, just how do you, you know, what are your deployment dependencies and whatnot. So one of the things to kind of keep in mind is that normally, like when you're working on, on software and doing deployments, you're going to probably have multiple different environments, right? You might have a, a development environment where it's relatively unstable and that's where you're kind of doing your system testing and integration and things are breaking and this is where your your bleeding edge code is going. Then you might have, you know, another environment that's much more stable where, you know, you can have other people do like functional testing and end yep. user testing and UI testing and whatnot. And then you know, you'll have an environment for production, right? Well, like this is what your end users are using. So multiple different environments and your vertical microservices definitely will go through that, that flow, right. Of, of, of being in each one of those environments with the, these horizontal microservices though, it's not necessarily like you probably don't want to have the same approach to it. So because this is part of your hub, because it is dependent on by these other microservices as a, as a key dependency, it needs to be stable. And so mm. if you have a development environment where you have an unstable vertical microservice, well, if the, the dependent core microservice that it depends upon to do its basic stuff, if that's also unstable, well, then it's just... <laughs> It's just a chaos. It's just yeah. It's just it's just complete chaos. You can't you can't do anything there. So, you know, I think you know the recommendation here would be with your core horizontal microservices have a single stable environment for those, and that's what all your other environments will use. So, dev, stage, prod will all refer to that one stable environment for your horizontal core microservice and that way they don't have to worry about that being unstable and then you have to kind of work around like okay what's my process going to be for 
testing new versions of the core microservice, right? Like how do I integrate that in? But that's going to be separate from like, you need to hide that from your consumers. Right. I was thinking there may still be dev environment there, but it's just not something that dependencies would make use of. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think we, we can finish off there and next week we can talk, we're going to talk more about microservices. We're going to talk about just like how to move from a monolith to microservices. And we'll talk a little bit more about how to size your microservices. So yeah, I think we've kind of done it. We've like really gotten into more practical things to do with microservices and how to think about it from the point of view of a team. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before we close off here, Chris? No, I think this is definitely a good point to finish up this week and then kind of leave this rolling into the next one where we, again, we can get more into the, just the practical, the nitty gritty of like, okay, how do I make this real? Like given just what goes on in, in the real world, like how do I, how do I size these things? How do I, if I do have a monolith, how do I like start becoming more microservice oriented? Like not everyone can do Greenfield. So how do I do that? And, and it's not, not an easy path. Right. And just as a teaser, I'm really excited about a future episode that we're going to do on microservices applied to UIs, like this idea of micro front ends, but we're not going to get there until we kind of lay all the groundwork. So I'm excited for that too. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Chris. Have a great rest of your week. All right. Thanks, John. See ya. Bye. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash 68. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.